You're listening to the She Renovates podcast. You're listening to She Renovates, the podcast for women who want to renovate to create an income and a life they love. Well, hello, renovators. I'm going to give you some backstory about today's episode. Before I launched She Renovates, I sought out a podcasting expert to teach me how to podcast. And that was Natasha Moy. Now, Natasha is an absolute pro. She is the chairman of the Eastside Radio Station Board. She is the presenter of The Dialogue. And she also hosts the podcast Living Out Loud with her co-host, Dr. Vincent. I was recently a guest on that podcast and I decided that it might be a good idea to share that episode on She Renovates. Now, Natasha is an incredibly eloquent uh, presenter who... Um, interviews beautifully and I just find her work an absolute joy to listen to and I thought that you would appreciate it too. So the premise of Living Out Loud is conversations about life, love and the universe and in this episode we discuss renovating, uh, financial literacy and the empowerment of women. Please remember that the information that we discuss in this podcast is general in nature and should not be taken as personal advice. Enjoy. Life. Kindness. People and places. Sincerity. Love. Integrity. The incredible universe. You're listening to the Living Out Loud podcast with Natasha Moy and Dr. Vincent, where we talk about life, love and the universe. You're listening to the Living Out Loud podcast, where we talk about life, love, and the universe. I'm Natasha, your host, and my co-host, Dr. Vincent, is with me today. Today, we are going to be interviewing Bernadette. And Bernadette, you know, um, I'm, I, I actually... I. I say your surname Jansen, and I think that I'm correct, but I was yeah. not 100% sure because I wasn't sure Jansen sounds like it comes from some Scandinavian country or somewhere Dutch, Holland. I, am I right? So um, my husband is Czechoslovakian. He's, he comes from Czechoslovakian roots, but his father was sort of persecuted as a young boy during the war and his name was Jankowski oh. and he, when he immigrated to Australia, he didn't want his children to suffer the same grief, so he changed his name and so oh. he just chopped the end off. So it's an interesting story. It's really funny. You know those people that have the, the shields, the family crests? Yes. Like, you know, and they, they ring you up and they say, we've got your family crest. Well, they've done that to us oh, and really? I have to, I'll say to them, um, no, you can't. You can't have... <laughs> Right. So that's kind of interesting because I thought a little bit about that. So the reason that we have you up here, which I'm I'm actually, this has been such a long time coming, this interview, is because you own a business called the School of Renovating. 
And this interview that Dr. Vincent and I came up with is the idea of it is to talk about ideas that contribute to life, love in the universe. And um, when I spoke to you a little while ago, you explained to me that so much about what you do, almost everything that you do is about empowering women. It is. It is. So, um, and particularly women that are in sort of middle-aged and older who, you know, you would probably know that often women um, sort of start to feel invisible. And uh, many women have a passion for renovating and for just... It's, I, I always look on it as an extension of the homemaking sort of nesting instinct. Yeah. And so by, by enabling them to be able to do that um, profitably... It's, it's, um, it's very um, affirming and empowering and just a lot of fun. And so I think it's a great thing to do and it certainly um, has, you know, changes their lives. The interesting thing that I find, I mean, is it the renovating part? Is it the female part? Because obviously you must have started this journey. You've been doing it for quite a long time. So you've been mm. doing this journey for a while and you are in... A healthy relationship from what I can understand <laughs> so it's not like you you know a lot of people go through these experiences and think I'm gonna do something I'm gonna you know this is I'm gonna take control of this how did you develop from obviously being you know a teenager adult, a young adult into this this field so I did my first renovation when I was 13 oh wow <laughs> wow I, like Yes. Anyhow, I was going to make some ridiculous joke about age, but I won't. And, um, and so I lived on a farm in central Victoria where uh, the house was sort of the last um, place money was spent because all the money went into the business and the farm. And so I decided that I wanted to improve my surroundings. You know, it certainly didn't meet my expectations as a 13-year-old girl. And so... Thankfully, my mother was very uh, supportive in that way. So I went to work and got wallpaper. And it was in the 70s. So, you know, it was all the uh, flower power, wallpaper and so on. And I really got this, you know, when it was finished, I got this incredible sense of satisfaction and like I had control over my life because I didn't have control over much. You know, we lived, where we lived was quite remote. You know, I couldn't go and visit my friends after school or anything like that. And it just gave me that enormous sense of satisfaction and feeling empowered. And it was from that that really um, created a, a passion for it. And it's something about taking something that's really boring and dull and half dead and, and breathing new life into it and creating something beautiful. And I, um, I met my husband, uh, like, in my 20s. So, yes, we've been uh, married for 35 years. So Go you. I think it's too late Go to you. <laughs> so, um, and he ha has a building background. So I actually thought we had it made. You know, I thought, great, my creativity, his, um, his skills, and we're going to really nail this. But in reality... Uh, it's the renovating is just a small piece of the puzzle and to be honest with you the projects we did together like we didn't lose money but they were just very um, 
not successful in a financial sense. Looked beautiful, but we got so carried away with the Renault, didn't focus enough on the numbers and the strategy. And so we so we sort of made made a change and I sort of liken it to like savvy housewife meets professional construction project management. So put together a process to make it profitable. And so so that's what we do now. So I know that I can produce around about 100,000 sort of really out of the air just by going and doing a reno. Oh, my God. And so, yeah, and so you can imagine that does attract some interest. And while I say I work with women, they're not a lot are do have had a terrible start, you know, like terrible time personally. They met, they've had some sort of setback, be that financial, certainly, a, you know, a lot of relationship um, sadness. And but I do a lot of women I work with are actually married and have long standing partners but they're the driving force so so yeah so it's so while we do have a lot of people that need help then it's not everyone okay yeah i really like uh when you said that uh you didn't have you felt that you didn't have a lot that that they were under your control but then by renovating by fixing and doing the uh, decorating and doing the stuff uh, the way that you want it, you're actually gaining that control and that gives you satisfaction. Because I remember my mom said that um, she doesn't like cleaning. However, on a very stressful day, she likes to clean because uh, she said that even though there are things that are out of her control, at least she knows when she cleans, she can feel the benefit and that gives her the sense that everything's going to be okay. Exactly. And it's like... You know, your surroundings is such a large part of your life. If you have the power to change them and to make them how you want them, then it, it does feel like you have control over your life, even though you may not have. Wow, that's very powerful. Let me it ask is. you, you know, financial literacy, financial sort of elasticity. I, I was watching a TED Talk very recently um, with the guy who um, is the head of PayPal and they were talking about sort of financial disparity and also around sort of being financially almost financial equality and obviously there was a technology component to that so they were talking about how you know a smartphone basically gives everyone parity across the board when it comes to banking because suddenly people who can't get to a bank or have no access are suddenly able to be more financially literate and able to actually look after themselves and that paypal obviously allows for a free flow of money between people who don't even have a bank account um so it was a really interesting it was really interesting and they were talking about obviously a large group of poor people people who are socioeconomically challenged and obviously you're talking about women who are middle-aged and a little bit older, and I'm interested to know if you think that the younger generation has a better sense of financial literacy or if it's just that we're all going to land up in this place at some point where they find themselves divorced or they find themselves on their own and they're going, actually, I don't know how to make money. I don't know how to look after it. I don't know how to save it. I don't even know. I don't know, and I'm scared. I think what I've noticed about the younger generation is, and not that young, like in their 30s, is there's this, and this is probably because I'm in Sydney, there is this sense of hopelessness around um, 
buying a home. And I, a lot of the financial gurus say that your home is not an asset. However, yeah, I... Oh, I, oh wow. That yeah. is very fascinating because mm. property is an asset in, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, so I, I think... Let's not go there because I will, you know. So you disagree with that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I totally disagree with it because I. That's another um, episode. Yeah, that is definitely another episode. And um, and by and for most people, their home is their the the bulk of their wealth. Okay, so if you can't, if you don't buy a family home or you know a home for yourself, then you are. Um, sort of missing out on that opportunity. So you pay rent, okay, out of your after-tax money. Um, if you buy any property, then you um, those properties, if you sell them, you pay a large amount of the appreciation in value out in tax. It's just, you know, I, I just think a family home is a great way to grow, grow wealth. You've got to live somewhere. Um, and I notice that there's a hopelessness, uh, certainly with some of the young people that I um, I talk to, around I I can never do that, and it's just not true, you know. Um, it is also a forced saving because exactly, sometimes yeah, exactly. And I think that um, yeah, and I think that that's really sad because there's there's just that incredible sense of you know, you're owning your domain when you buy the home that you live in. And as you're right, you're right, it is for savings. And and most people who buy a home do pay it off. So, you know, so, you know, that's a large chunk of money. Like in Sydney, the median house price is around about a million dollars. So, yeah. It is quite a good saving. So, you know, I grew up in a home with... Um, obviously an older mum. My mum is in her 70s and she, where we grew up, it was very much about sort of, you know, you got married to a man who had a bit of money and hopefully you stuck together and, and, and you, you benefited from that. Obviously quite a lot of those people in that generation have landed up here getting divorced, as did my mum. Yes. And yeah. it took her a very, very long time to be able to leave a, a, a really horrendous marriage, you know, that was full of all the worst things you could imagine. And, and it, it was, you know, that's how we were raised. We were raised in what I refer to as hell. And um, because there was no ability to financially do anything and she has incredible taste and she has incredible, you know, she, she built beautiful homes with um, her husband at the time. Had she had the ability to learn how to renovate profitably I think her life would have been very different. So when people come to you and they learn through the different journey that you, you take them on, because you've got a whole lot of different options, what do you actually teach them? Okay, so, so you remember that I told you that when we started out, we went down the path of renovating in the way that a builder would do it. Yes. Well, I taught them all the stuff that we didn't do back then. So round being strategic about what you buy and... So long term, like I want all our students to end up where they're buying, renovating and holding for the long term. And renovation like, is a powerful tool um, because it not only increases the income, but it also increases the value of the property. So it's a double-edged sword. But often when people come to us initially, they want to do short-term um, strategies, which unfortunately is a much higher risk as well. 
Um, so basically we teach them everything from the beginning, the right legal structure. So, you know, if you're buying and selling properties um, in within, you know, a short amount of time, you're going to pay a lot in capital gains tax. So we, um, I work with my accountant so that they are educated on how they can minimise that. And that's a really simple process. Then I teach them what to look for according to the strategy that they're applying. Then the types of renovations. So we used to only do structural renovations, which are pretty major. But probably about eight years ago, 10 years ago, I worked out that there's a sweet spot. So it's a bit more than a purely cosmetic, but it has some change or improvement in life, in, you know, that life in that home will have. And so that's sort of the sweet spot in terms of making a profit. So I teach them that. I teach them basically how to find the right, uh, how to manage the project, how to find the right um, agent to sell it, because that's always a bit of a minefield, how to style it and, and get the most for their, for their work, basically. Yeah. Um, I'm laughing because Dr. Vincent and I came up with this amazingly beautiful method of working together remotely. And when he bought us our merch, okay, he bought us our merch for a reason. And the reason why he bought us our merch was so that we could use it to indicate to one another how we're going to swap our questioning, you know, so, that, so, so, and I'm sharing, you know, the inside stories here, very much so. So the idea is we got this amazing merchandise, but it does have a function. However, I'm a little bit loose on the, when I sit here. So <laughs> I am flicking the thing around <laughs> and he's nodding at me. <laughs> going, yes. And then I'm thinking, oh God, I didn't mean to do that. And then I'm like lifting up again. So I don't know about this process because I seem to okay. have a small case well, of ADHD. pointing to me. So it's my turn. It is your turn. <laughs> I, I'm not taking it back. So, uh, well, Two things that I really want to pick up before we move on to the next set of questions is that uh, before this interview, Natasha and I, we were talking about financial independence and what Natasha just said just now about there are a lot of women who feel that they can't get out of a really terrible relationship of, of or, or marriage is because they're thinking about themselves. They're also thinking about their kids in terms of how they can financially uh, support their lives without this so to speak, the breadwinner of the family. And as a matter of fact, I shared this statistic with Natasha just now that 23 of women in the United States of America, they stay in their really bad marriage for up to 10 years simply because they, they are not financially independent. So That's 23%. Th 23%. 23%, yeah. which is really high. So basically, to, to boil it down, to... to, to in my in my opinion, it's basically saying that you uh, you're you're out of luck, unfortunately, because you're poor. You have to suffer. That's basically mm. what you are saying mm. to these women. So what you are doing is really really fascinating to me because it it is not only giving that control back, but it also empowers people who otherwise probably don't have that independence. I would like to say that at that. In that scenario, we're making a massive difference, but that would be an overstatement. Like, um, because um, it, it takes some work to get to a point. You need, well, you don't, actually, you don't need money. You can actually um, sort of make a, an income from 
renovating with no money by putting deals together and bringing in investors. But the reality is that most people do not like, you know, often when someone's come out of that sort of a relationship, they are battered and their confidence is about as low as it could possibly be and are just not in the right mind space. Really, when we come, where we come in and do our best work is when someone's been out of a relationship for around about a year Okay. And has got over the, um, got over the, well, you never get over it completely, but that initial trauma, because you can't, when your head is in that place, you can't make decisions, you know, like where you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars that you don't have. So, you know, I just, yeah, I, I can't claim that I do, I make a difference at that point because it's just, yeah. But the, the uh, sorry. No, I was going to say that the difference that you, but that you do make though, I mean, is the fact that it gives women who after a year of trauma where you can't do anything, it gives them something that they could potentially do without necessarily a skill set, without a degree, without any job, you, you don't need a CV, you know, you can actually go out and do something because it's not about necessarily having the money. It's about how you actually manage to build income and stay afloat because you might have two kids and you might be, you know, 40 years of age and suddenly you're living on next to nothing. Exactly. And that's, that is the hard thing. One of the things that I've really struggled with is that the ideal project for someone that's challenged in that way is a joint venture. And I have been down the path of facilitating joint ventures with my students. And there is just such a lot of um, liability around that. And I've done it against my husband's wishes, I guess you would say, because he's kept, kept saying to me the risk of it, you know, mm. but I want to give them the experience so that they have they can take that and go and, and sort of blossom from it. And just recently, so there's been this thing going on with Stephen and I about it because he doesn't want me to because he's worried about us and I want to and I don't personally think he's got that much to worry about because I'm very careful but I get his point. And, but I want to because I can see that there are people that need that little help up. And just recently, I actually partnered with a company that takes, does all the legal stuff. Oh, wow. So basically, that's really, for me, has opened the door in terms of... Um, Helping more people. Yeah. And so I'm actually looking at a property on Friday, and I've already got the team ready to go into that. So... Like, I could do it myself. I don't really want to do flips myself. I want to um, because, you know, it's a lot of work, really, and I don't, like, I shouldn't say I don't need to, but I've got a longer-term strategy. Um, but um, so I've, I've just wrote, you know, sort of set down some, some sort of points about how it will work. So I've got four people coming into that deal. And so I've told them that I want to work with you through this so that then you can go out and set up your own deals and you can actually support other women who are wanting to, um, you know, are wanting to develop. So they'll probably get, so, you know, like I look at projects that are around about 100,000 profit, 
okay? So with five people in it, they'll make about 20,000 each. It, it's not massive, but they're not really having to do a lot for it. The person that does the actual reno gets paid. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's okay. And I'm, I'm just really excited about it because I think it's going to make a massive difference. I think that's sounds like a yeah. option. Yeah. Yeah. But I have to work slowly with it. I can't because I am someone who thinks, oh, this is amazing. I just want to get them set up everywhere. But I have to go through it myself first to make sure, like, there will be things to iron out. There always are. It's never as good as it looks. But uh, for me, having not having to deal with the, the liability and the legal setup is... I suppose there is still some liability, but it's different. And, yeah, so there you go. So that's, that's where we're at. Wow, that sounds really awesome because, uh, well, your, your husband is right. As much as you want to help people, you also have to protect the four walls of your house. Exactly, yeah. No pun intended. Yeah, <laughs> but exactly. with all of the things that you see in terms of what your students are doing and uh, what, what other people are doing in terms of renovating, what do you think is the biggest mistake when people renovate? Um, okay, so the biggest mistake is buying something that you think you can make look better because it may not necessarily, that's, that's just a small part of the equation. So not doing the research. So not understanding uh, where the profit lies in, uh, in a project. And um, one of the things is you need to buy at or below market value and so that you can, because you've got a lot of costs other than the, the renovation. You've got stamp duty, you've got holding costs and selling costs, that, that all adds up. And so that's the first one. The second one is um, not managing the trades very well and letting them run rings around you. That's something that women really struggle with and mainly because our industry is still very male-dominated. And I know, like I've been doing this for nearly 40 years, but Stephen and I will both go and get a quote from a trade. We've ha actually done this from the same person. Oh, don't his say quote, it. His quote is lower than mine. Wow. Okay. So I know that that's what's going to happen. So on behalf of my gender, I apologise. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Vincent. Um, it, it's just the way it is. And once I've worked with them for a while and they figured out they're not going to get away with it, then I don't have to deal with that anymore. But when I'm starting with someone new, I have to... I have to sort them out. So I will assume that what they quote me is at least 10% more than I should be paying. That's so interesting. Wow. So um, just curiously, if, if, if you were to flip, say, you, you know, you were re relatively good at it, and um, I love the term flipping. I mean, I think it's so fantastic. If you were quite good at it, would you be able to flip, say, three, three a year? Could you do three a year? So um, it depends what you are doing. So um, firstly, I should just go back. If I didn't say this before, I think I did. It's the highest risk strategy. So the, the problem with flipping is it's very um, vulnerable to flickers in the market. And um, the market does go up and down like that all the time. So if you buy on a, you know, in a valley and you sell at the peak, you're going to you're going to be struggling. So you need, when you're flipping, you need to be willing to hold the property. 
if that happens. And that's a, that happened to me last year. I had three projects and the market went like that. You know, in Sydney, it, it nosedived. I had to hold on to all three of them for a year that didn't intend to do that but had to do it. And so we sold, we actually sold four properties in three weeks in November because, you know, the opportunity came up, so got them all on the market and got them sold. But if we hadn't have, we would have lost a lot of money. So, so you've got to be careful. If things are in the right, you know, if the wind's blowing the right way, um, so a lot of the renos we do in Sydney are apartments because the, the price of a house is prohibitive. So I like to look at things around eight to 900,000. So, you know, that's where we get the 100,000 profit from. It's just around about 10%. Um, and the thing with apartments is that you need to get approval from the owner's corporation. That sometimes takes some time, okay? If you're doing houses, you can get in and out much quicker. So you've usually got six weeks at the start when you buy the house or the property and you've got six weeks at the end to sell it and settle. So that's three months for a start. So let's say you spend three months on the reno, six months. So you could probably do two if you've got the funds to overlap. One thing I've liked to do and is to actually land bank. So buy two or three projects put tenants in them and then do them as you're ready. And in that case, you can. You can do three, four um, properties, you know, a year. This is so interesting because we started off saying that uh, by renovating, by making your living space better, you're actually assuming control. But from what you just said, there are so many things that, in my mind, they are out of control. Like, you can't predict the market. You can't predict a lot of stuff. So... How do you navigate through, in terms of your mental well-being, how do you navigate through the uncertainties of, of this business? Okay, so I'm going to really lay it on the line now and tell you that in my early years, what I didn't know was I was suffering from a, a clinical depression, okay? And I really, really struggled with it. As soon as I'd get into a deal, I'd want to get out. You know, it was it was terrible, but unfortunately, it didn't wasn't bad enough for me not to do it anymore. Um, and then in around about my forties, I got diagnosed and got treated, and it's just so much better now. I just don't have any of those issues. And how we deal with it is we create buffers. So for now, like I said, I'm buying a property. Uh, if it stacks up on Friday, I'll buy that property. I make sure that the deal stacks up. I'm really clear about how much, um, you know, how much buffer I should have in there. And then if the market still goes down lower, well, then I accept that I've got to hold it until it picks up. Because almost always, well, I should say always, even after the GFC, it eventually came back. So you've just got to be willing to switch to plan B, have an exit strategy, and, um, yeah. So that's how you manage it. Let's talk a little bit about Airbnb because obviously that must be something that's massive for the whole renovating process. So I, I run an Airbnb um, and it is amazing. You know, I, it's massively successful and I've set up quite a few for quite a few friends of mine as well. Um, and they are all doing extremely well. 
you know, awesome. it, it's positively geared. You're paying off your mortgage. You're paying off. However, there are lots of risks and it's a lot of hard work. And I think what people are misunderstanding is that going in and flipping a house doesn't take five minutes and going in and doing Airbnb is not cruising around, you know, having a lovely life. It's bloody hard. So you would obviously have quite a lot of people who would be interested in developing Airbnb um, businesses or turning their homes into Airbnb. Has that come up as a big part of what you do? Absolutely. So that's the, um, well, for a start, I started Airbnb before it was really um, mainstream. So my first uh, Airbnb was a project that I'd flipped in, oh, it would have had to have been eight years ago. And, like, seriously, I thought, this is amazing. I've got to tell everyone about it. And so what it enabled us to do was to renovate apartments. So if you've got an apartment and you've got an owner's corporation that's taking forever to make a decision, then you can put it on Airbnb. Obviously, part of your due diligence is to check that it can be Airbnb. And then you don't have to worry about it. When you get the approval, you can just shut it down so you're not having to deal with tenants and all their Contract rights. Contract and minimum stay and yeah. terms of stay. Stuff, stuff yeah. Like and so, um, so that, that's, so I put together a program so that our students would have that sort of tool in their tool belt. But then I realised that for a lot of women that don't have a lot of income, that it's a way you can build an income. So in Sydney, you can build around about 100,000 a year with five well-chosen properties. You can rent them all, not own anything, and have a really substantial income. You keep that going for two years. Then you've got figures to go to the bank and, so, and you've got cash. So it's a great strategy. Unfortunately, the um, COVID has killed it. Screwed it, didn't it? <laughs> Just screwed it. COVID really screwed everything. It did. Yes. It did. But, but the, it's not going to be like this forever. No. And in fact, it is already like most of my uh, hosts in my community are getting their places ready for the onslaught because it's already started. Um, and as soon as the domestic borders open up fully, then that will be back on track. But, you know, like... I've got women that manage 20, 25 properties, not necessarily all their own, but they manage other people's properties and have just created an income for themselves. It's, um, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting thing, that sort of share economy. And the share economy, I think, is such a huge part of where we're going forwards. So, you know, I don't know about... Um, necessarily lots of industries but i think that the where you can share do joint ventures for flipping you know share airbnb yeah. opportunities i mean it's that share economy is very exciting i was talking to somebody last night who is working in at google and you know they've set up a share environment with a whole lot of other businesses where they can share resources so human resource that they have sitting in one place that's not being utilized is now going to be used in you know you know PwC or in, in 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 all these different businesses. So this idea of sharing has become a really viable, very exciting way of moving forward. It is, and the other thing about it, and one of the reasons I do joint ventures is because I hate. I'm sort of an outgoing person. I like sharing the experience. I don't like doing a project on my own. I don't like being on site on my own. Um, 
I like. And so that's why I do joint ventures. And it's the same with short-term rental. It's just, you know, it's it's that um, communication with people and, you know, the, it, it enriches your life. Do you think that from everything that you just described, do you think that... Um I apologize. I didn't. I don't mean to basically paint paint women in one way or men in the other way. But just from my interaction with strong women in my life, like my mom, my grandma, Natasha, and a lot of my mentors, from what you just described, I actually think that women are better suited for this kind of job and business because of the multi multitasking uh, aspect, the communication aspect, as well as the creativity aspect. What, what do you think? I absolutely agree. I think I said earlier that I, I look on it a bit like the extension of our homemaking skills because as, uh, you know, like when we put together a home, like uh, I know that the roles are changing a little bit, but I certainly see with my daughters and and son that it, it's there's a very similar thread going there that they... Um, they have a different way of looking at um, at the home and what goes on in it and how it should look and feel. And I definitely think that that's an incredible advantage for someone that's wanting to work in property because the other thing is that people who buy homes, women buy homes, okay? Mm -hmm. So they may not be the person putting writing the cheque, but they're the ones that make the decision about whether that's the right home or not. And so understanding your um, owner or your guest at that sort of instinctive level, I think is an incredible advantage. Because it's a two-way street. Uh, when, people, when, when people who basically do the housework or the homemaking part of, of the maintenance of the house knows exactly, say, for example, you need a door from the laundry room, something that if you've never actually do your laundry, you have no idea. No, exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. Kind of, one of my favorite programs is the block. I'm an absolute block addict. I mean, I don't think there is a, year, a season that goes by where I'm not glued to the television and I don't even like TV, but I love Neil Whittaker. I've interviewed him in the past and um, it's truly my dream to one day be the mature couple on the block. You know, that, that, that's where, I, that's where I'm, I'm, I'm definitely working my way towards it. But um, I, I heard something quite interesting about Airbnb and the way that they that you decorate. So, um, the, a friend of mine who did my my interior drawings, she said to me, "Make it white." She said, "Make everything white." She said, "Because the color is really important." She said, "If it's white, it looks clean, and people want to stay in a clean place." So I did. It's white on white on white, which is a cleaning nightmare, I have to say. And a friend of mine, she used some different colors, some puppy colors in hers. And I lined up with a lot of Asian, um, the Asian community can stay in mine, a lot of Chinese, Koreans. Um, and she lines up with a lot of Indian people staying in hers because obviously we, and my, my friend said to me, she said, you know, that she said, color is what you associate culturally. She said, if you go into a Korean's home, she said, the, the lights are very bright. Everything's extremely white, very stark. The way that that looks in the images is very attractive. Whereas when you go to someone in India, their home is more colorful. So that it, it's very, you know, there is so much psychology behind what you do and how you do it. Do you deal with the psychology aspect when you're teaching people the renovating part? No, we, we do, uh, but not to that extent, not in terms of nationalities. No, obviously, um, I mean, that's quite extreme. 
Yeah, no, we really look at um, one that it has to look sparkling clean uh, because cleanliness is the most important uh, factor in an Airbnb, but two, that it has to stand out. So often, like when we're renovating, we can't really put a whole lot of personality in it because you've got to be, uh, it's got to be, a, have broad appeal. But in Airbnb, you can be really quirky because mm. it's going to make your listing stand out. So you want it to jump off the screen when people are scrolling Sounds through. Sounds like Tinder. <laughs> Sounds like uh, Tinder. <laughs> Dr. Benson, I wouldn't know what Tinder is like, so... <laughs> oh, well, you've been married for forever. <laughs> so that's why I've been married forever. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. What's the advice? Right, so yeah. you want to jump off the screen, basically, yes. Um, so I, I think that's, yeah, that, that's quite interesting, the, the, the different way... Just coming back a little bit to the whole idea of financial literacy and what's important for women. Um, Dr. Vincent, you come from a country that has some challenging socioeconomic elements to it because obviously there's quite a lot of poor people um, at home, which is, I believe, Indonesia. Can you tell me that I got it right this time? Because I think yes. you got it wrong the last time. I did get it right. So Indonesia, obviously, you know, there is a, but it's quite, it's quite a, it's not a very masculine dominated environment. The, the women are quite, quite powerful in, in 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 indonesia i think you know within the home the matriarch no not not really okay. actually it's a very patriarchy uh culture and society and this is the thing that i sometimes have a clash with with with, with my family members or my friends back home is because um they were still in and bless their heart but they were still in the in the mindset in the era where when you are a woman and you are 22 your clock is ticking and you better get married very very soon and um, the culture is one part but I think the the financial situation is also another part because in the past marriage is a form of security it's a form of insurance that someone will take care of you and I think that it's so sad that a lot of women in Indonesia, they are very educated, they have a lot of potential, but they are still being imprisoned by this kind of culture and, and mindset. So I think by being financially independent, I think that gives them, for lack of a better word, a, a way out from, from this outdated mindset. Because if you don't have the financial independent, you either be dependent on your parents or your soon-to-be or future husband. Mm. Interesting. I, I find that the, the something that concerns me a little bit about our, our younger generation at the moment that's coming up is this, the, the, this whole idea of sort of working when you want to and, you know, not necessarily tackling something that you can... I think there's this idea that, you know, it's abundance for forever. We live in a Western world, and I, you know, Australia doesn't have a massive poverty line. We just, we just don't experience it at the same level that a lot of other countries do. And they are the, there is this entire generation that I'm watching that are, you know, doing a little bit of this and doing a little bit of this and doing a little bit of this, never really becoming anything. And I worry that, you know, at the end of the day, you, we all get to that 50, 60, 70 mark when doing a little bit of this and doing a little bit of that is actually not really viable. And I think that there needs to be something in schools that teaches both men and women 
about financial literacy, about how to look after themselves, about the way to build wealth, so that when you have COVID, you actually can feed yourself. That's true, but uh, I just, I, I really would like your opinion on this, uh, Bernadette, because we touched a little bit on having a house or property is not an asset. And I think a lot of people my age from my generation actually honestly think, think that having a house, it's actually not a financial freedom. It is tying you down to a mortgage and they're operating based on, on, on that philosophical belief. And that's the reason why they're happily renting. Mm, yeah, it's, and, but they don't see as having to come up with rent every week as being um, tying them down. So it just doesn't, it doesn't sort of stack up, does it? Because no. in their mind, I know that it doesn't stack up, but in their mind, they can pack up and move or, or move back home. For example. Look, that comes back yeah. to my point about that semi-permanence that we seem yeah. to have that's kind of now floating through those younger generations and communities where people don't stick to anything. So they you know, they rent and they do a little bit of this and a little bit of that and then maybe they go home to parents for a little bit. And you know, and I'm not I don't that's not everyone. So but it is very much a thought process and it concerns me when I watch older people really struggling at the moment to survive who who have grown up in an environment where they didn't have financial literacy and independence and they're now at pensioners age and they can't live the lifestyles that they wanted to live or that they believe they would live and it creates a lot of sadness a lot of depression and a lot of anxiety in older generations not to be able to live the way that they had assumed that they would live later on and so it i would be i, I think we need to to tackle that somewhere along in this youth market so that there is an there, understanding you will get old one day there is something that I there is something that I stole from uh, your website, Bernadette, and it really oh resonates gosh. with me. No, no, this is this is something that that I think is a very correct and strong point that I really resonate with. Uh, you say something about self worth, and that through renovating, as as much as you are building things on the outside, you're also building your own self worth and self respect, and I think having that sense of worth and ownership over something, I think that will actually help them to, to have more of a commitment to, 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 to one thing or to one project, uh, rather than having a very short um, attention span. Yeah, I agree, I agree. And well, obviously, you know, I wrote it. So it's not really, and it's also not just about the money. It's about that, that sense of self and the, uh, uh, and also the sense of being visible. Like when, so when our children were small, I was um, I was a stay-at-home mum, but I had projects on the side. So we had four children quite close together. And uh, my husband was, you know, in a construction role and we would go, I'd have to go to things with him. And I just felt like the third wheel. Like and I felt like I was the handbag. Like I, I didn't have any, you know, really right to be there. But when someone would say to me, what do you do? And I'd say, oh, I'm a renovator. It's like, oh, so, oh, actually you are a real person. You, you do something that, you know, it's that sense of feeling like, oh, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not nothing. I do make a um, contribution to... You know, I am. I think it's. I yeah. am enough. I am. I am enough. Yeah. It's a self. It's so a sense of self-esteem. Instead of being 
the wife of your yeah. husband yeah. You are Bernadette and you have Nevada. a husband. Exactly. And I'm not my children's mother and I'm, you know, it's, and, and that's the other thing that I really love about it because it, you know, it does give you a sense of self that you've got something, that you make something out of nothing, you know, which is, yeah, very exciting. So coming towards the I end of the interview. I can't believe we rescheduled this three times no, because no. I am learning so much from this episode. <laughs> so, so am I. I know, I know for our listener, probably you always listen to me saying that we learn so much, but there's a reason why Bernadette is on the show and we are calling Bernadette a friend to our show because instead of calling you our guest, we have a term for people who come onto our show and we call it a friend to the show. Friends oh, of the show. I'm honoured. Thank you. So we have, so we a, have couple a couple of last, last questions, questions for you, for you just, just very, very quickly. quickly. I, will I will start with the one, one and, and, um, and, 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 and Dr. Smith will do the next, the next one. one. So, so we like, we to, like ask to ask people, people and it's, kind, it's of kind, of kind of a personal question, question on the way, way but, but I'm, interested I'm interested in what you, what you fear. fear. What do you what fear on a personal level? I fear being incapacitated. I fear not being able to do the things that I want to do. Um, I broke my knee cap two years ago and was the first time in my life that I ha had actually felt like I, you know, might not be able to do the things that are on my list. So I'm currently 62 and I have, like, a list this long of stuff that I want to do before I die. And so I want to make sure that I'm fit and able to do them. So that's my fear. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And uh, to end the show in a very positive note, the second part of the question is that what are the things that you are grateful for? Uh, I guess the main thing I'm grateful for is my uh, husband and family. The fact that I was born into the family that I was born into, um, I feel incredibly privileged Wow. Nice. So we've come to the end and um, I want to thank you just for being so generous. You gave away so much information about what you do and how you do it. And it was nice to kind of pick your brain. And I, I, I love the idea of renovating. It's my, as I said, I want to be on the block. It's my complete and utter dream. So um, I feel like it was a little bit of a sneaky interview that I could get a lot of information. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh, no, you go first. Um, so I personally think the block would be like career suicide, just saying. That's okay. I think I just want to know I can do it. I probably will never land up there, but it's still my idea. You know, it's my, it's my, it's my Kokoda trail. They don't want anyone that can do it. They want, I have a friend who is a very skilled flipper. Like she's incredible. She and her husband, they, they've been on another show, renovation show, and they've auditioned for the block five times and they can't get on because they are so talented. There would not be enough things go wrong. They're not enough drama. So they just can't get on. Uh, well, I can okay. create drama. So, so for, I, I, we know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I can't help myself. Uh, so for people like you, Natasha, who wants to, who, who want to learn more or who wants to actually doing this formally with, your uh, school of renovation how how do they how do they get in touch with you how do they actually get the process start start okay so i would say that anyone that wants to um start you know down the path of renovating should go and listen to our podcast 
and find out whether that really is what you want to do because I'm sort of pretty blunt about what's involved because, you know, it's like anything. There are aspects of renovating that are not so great and you need to know about them. If you do that and you still feel it's for you, then get in touch with us. We have a boot camp. I've just taken my training fully online, which I'm thrilled about, and then, and which is our core training. And then after that, if you want support, we do coaching and all sorts of things. Yeah. So the website is um, renovate the school of renovating.com.au. Obviously no spelled AU. No just AU, just com. com. Okay, yeah. so school of renovating.com. And the podcast is She Renovates. That's right. And yes. I would like to proudly mention that I taught Bernadette how to podcast. <laughs> you did. And you did. she has a podcast that has 2,000 downloads an episode. Well, uh, can I just jump in and update that? So we've just crept up to 700 a week. So we're edging towards 3,000. Wow, that's amazing. Wow. Wow. I'm so lucky that I'm surrounded by not only beautiful women, but very strong and smart women. So I, you know, uh, on that note, I thank the both of you for allowing me to be in your presence. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Vincent. That's that's a lovely compliment and I'm going to accept it. Absolutely. Bernadette, thank you so much for coming onto the show. Um, You've been listening to the Living Out Loud podcast and we will be back with some other great interviews. Um, After this one, we have interviews that are up on... um, how do you live well? And that was done by someone who is a funeral director, Matthew Quaker. And we also have a fantastic interview with Marina Pasolaris. And um, we will have some other great, fantastic interviews coming up. So join us and um, listen in. And thank you both. Living Out Loud brings you interviews about life, love, and the universe. If you'd like to ask a question or contact Natasha Moy or Dr. Vincent, please email us at hello at Follow our Instagram page at Living Out Loud Podcast, Facebook at Living Out Loud, and follow the links to our YouTube channel where you can see us, which is not nearly as good as just listening to us. We look forward to bringing you amazing interviews about the universe, living, and of course my favorite, love. This is the She Renovates Podcast. To discover how to harness the power of renovating, check out theschoolofrenovating.com.